Episode 7 of Something for Nothing, Jer. We're back. Episode 7? Yeah, this is episode 7. Can Can you believe we've uh, made it this far? I can't. I can't believe we even talk to each other anymore. I I can't either. The only reason we talk to each other anymore is because we talk about Rush. It's true, but that's what we were probably talking to about. Talking to about each other? Talking Talking to each other about 30, 40 years ago, however long it's been. So anyway, as I'd like to do every podcast is let everybody know they can follow us on Twitter yes. at RushFanCast, Instagram, the RushCast, email, we've been getting some emails, the RushCast at gmail.com. That's right. And the podcast is available on Google Podcasts. You may be listening to it there right now. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. I guess it doesn't matter at this point because someone's listening. They know where they're listening. They know where they're listening, yeah. But they may hate Apple and say, you know what? Maybe I want to check out something else. Right. And you can go directly to our Podbean page. That's where we're hosting the... Okay. So that's somethingfornothing.podbean.com. Okay. So you can uh, check out Podbean and... And you can stream it right from there. So the heck with all those other ones. Yeah. Let's just do Podbean. Right. There, there are people. You don't even need a uh, Podbean account as far as I know. You just go to the page and you can listen to it right from the page. Great. And I also wanted to mention that our base intro and outro for the podcast was done by our good friend Lex. That's right. Who's a much better bassist than I. <laughs> I actually tried to play something for nothing. I spent about an hour practicing it yeah. and recording it, and I could not do it. Right. I, I could do it, but it just didn't, didn't flow. Set, didn't flow. Right. Didn't flow. It and, smooth. And Lex flows. Yeah, he flows. He baby. flows. He definitely does. I did the same thing. I, I played the intro. I learned the intro on guitar, and it's, it's a relatively easy song. Right. You know, not, no crazy chords, but uh, yeah, it didn't sound very good. You're no Alex. I am no Alex. But who is? Alex. Nobody is. Uh, so today on the podcast, we are going to discuss 2112. Possibly the best Rush album. Could be. Could be. Could be. Up there. We're going to get into it, but first we're going to talk about um, some of the feedback we've been getting. We've, we've got, a, a, at, at the time of this recording... We have over 200 followers on Twitter, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, that's amazing. It is. It's great. Considering and that we had most of them really before the first episode even came out. Correct. Actually, the first episode came out a week ago from when we were recording this. So right. we're recording the podcast about a month prior to when they're actually airing, just right. to pull back the curtain a little bit. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, we've had a couple of Twitter polls, and I just thought it might be fun to talk about uh, some of the feedback we got and what you think. Uh, so I asked people what their favorite song on Power Windows was, and what do you think the favorite song on Power Windows of our listenership? I may have told f- you this already. Uh, the options I gave, because Twitter only gives you three, cho- well, four choices. Okay. So I chose Marathon, Manhattan Project, Territories, and then for the fourth, I put Other, and then I allowed people to... So comment. any so any song. So it could be any song, yeah. So out of the out of the eight songs on Power Windows, what would you say? Uh, the Big Money. No. Oh. The Big Money. I don't think got many votes at all. Oh. Were the majority Strangely. of the votes from the three that you listed first? Uh, well, that's that's the interesting thing. Uh, Marathon was the top vote getter okay. at thirty-seven percent. Manhattan Project was second at thirty-one percent. So it was close. Mm. Uh, Territories did not do well, Jar. I really? know it's your favorite, but 16%, especially, uh, 16? especially when we gave that as one of the choices, which would so ma- was, make people more apt to choose There it. were other songs that were higher ranked than yes. Territories? So out of the, out of the, uh, the other got 
I don't know, something like 20-something percent. And most of the other was Middletown Dreams. Wow. I don't think it got more votes to unseat Marathon, but still, I think it would have come in third if we had given that as a choice. Mm. And uh, Territories, while 16% is okay, I mean, you know, not this great. This is why they make chocolate and vanilla, right? Uh, Grand Design's got a bunch of votes too. Um, Did every song get a vote? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Big Money got a few. The le- the least though was Big Money, I hmm. think. Curious. So that was interesting. And uh, Mystic Rhythms got a few. Most of the comments said, I can't choose. They're all great, which I can agree with. Yeah, sure. I'll but, buy that. But you it's, know, it's we nice were asking people to choose, so right. they didn't. Another question we asked, do you have to appreciate every Rush album to be a true fan? Ooh, that's we a good we mentioned that in the first podcast, if you recall. Is it uh, bad that I don't really know that you're asking these questions? I should probably check Twitter. More you probably often. should no, but <laughs> no, but actually, it's better because now I could bring it up here and ask you again, and you have no idea. For some reason, I just uh, Twitter. I just can't get a handle on Twitter. I don't know why. It's never really clicked with me. But pe- obviously, people love Twitter. You know, the Rush fans kind of congregate there and talk about Rush. So right. that's. So that's what we're doing. We're interacting with them. Yeah, or at great. least I am. Yeah, you are. You're good at the at the Twitter. Well, thank you. So most people did say that you do have to at least appreciate every Rush album. You don't oh. have to like every Rush song. And that's understandable because we, even we don't like every Rush song. True. But you, Obviously. But most fans agreed with us that you, you do have to appreciate at least a little bit every album. Like where they were when right. they made that album, what they were going for. I mean, a real Rush fan doesn't say... Man, hold your fire sucks because of the keyboards. You know, I hate it. I at least I don't think so. Right. So, like, what were some of the people? Some people said must have said then they do think that that you you don't have to appreciate. Did some people say that you don't have no, to appreciate? No. Mo- well, uh, the thing is, most of the people that replied were probably huge Rush fans. Huge. Ru- Honestly, Jared, the people on Twitter from my interaction with them, uh, and you know who you are. You uh, you've been uh, interacting with me and listening to the podcast. They're bigger Rush fans than we are. Yeah. So uh, I defer to them on most things. Uh, and here's the third thing I wanted to bring up. Um, your favorite song about his, a historical event is what I asked. You remember, uh, in a, I guess it was the second podcast we were talking about Manhattan Project. Yes. And we wrongly said that this was the only Rush song about a historical event. Right. We corrected ourselves in the third podcast when we realized Bastille Day, of course. Right was a historical event. So I put up three choices, Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. Bastille Day, and Countdown as the three choices. Okay. Did someone say there's a fourth one? Uh, we, we got some oh. other suggestions. Oh, wow, oh, really? sure, yeah. Anyway, I wanted to say that those three songs got pretty much equal, over 30% each. Wow. So Countdown gets a lot. I know you don't like Countdown I don't like lot. Countdown. We'll talk about People that. People love Countdown. Love it. Wow. Yeah. One of their favorite Rush songs, a lot of people said. So so there. Other suggestions for the historical event, Red Sector A, maybe. A little bit of a stretch, I guess. It is a little, a little bit of a stretch. Beneath, Between, Behind? Well, yeah, okay. That's about Nixon's America, I suppose. Right. And uh, a Twitter follower, uh, TSetsy97, I'm not sure how to say this, uh, he suggested heresy Interesting. Uh, about the Cold War and its effect on Eastern Europe. And these two, which I don't think really qualify because they're they're true events, but not historical events that everyone knows. And he and he brought this up too. I'm not sure if this is where you were going. He said, uh, but after image, which was about a friend of Neil's who died, I believe, right. and nobody's hero, 
also about a friend of Neil's. Right. And uh, this was my favorite one. At Scoop's dad said, I think I'm going bald. It's about a historical event. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And I agree. Yeah. So that takes place every day. There you go. Across the globe. But uh, I I give him props for that one. (laughs) That's funny. So anyway, um, so with that, why don't we get into 2112? Let's. Let's. And start with? 2112. Let's talk about, let's talk about, the song as a whole first before course, we get yeah. into the before we get into the pieces okay it was recorded february 1976 the album okay in toronto right and they recorded it in two weeks the whole album it's pretty good i right i read um some quotes from i think alex where he said that they were writing most of it on the road right did you they, re- i read a rolling stone interview yep did, did you read the same one yeah probably yeah yeah they asked him pretty much everything about 2112 because it was the 40th anniversary and he went, yeah. went into all of this. So when they got into the, the studio, they were really prepared. They knew it. They knew what they were doing. So they banged it out. In and as weeks. we mentioned in the last podcast, Caress of Steel was kind of Rush's practice run for this. Oh, definitely. Now that I listened to them back to back and for, and you know, I haven't listened to both of them back to back in a long time. There was a time, Steve. Yes. Again, when I was an early Rush fan, like in my early Rush fandom, I had all of the tapes in a holder in my car in release date order. Wow. And I would just listen from the first to whatever was, I guess it was um, Hold Your Fire at that point. And then when I was done with Hold Your Fire, I'd go back to the first Wow. One. So I listened to them all in a row all the time. Really? Like, not a joke. I mean, I, I only did that once. I drove to Maine once by myself. And I listened to every Rush album that had come out from the first one to the most current one. It might have been Test for Echo at that point. In order. It was great. Yeah, it was great. I did it all the time. It was ridiculous. And so, yeah, you can definitely see that Caress of Steel is a practice run. Or maybe not a practice run for 2112, but it, they were going in a direction and they, they stumbled on Caress of Steel. Mm-hmm. And then they corrected themselves. With right, they perfected they it. Perfected the form. They perfected it with 2112. Because if you think about it, Crest of Steel, as we talked about on the previous podcast, was a commercial failure. Mm-hmm. It was a failure on a couple of levels. The, the label didn't like it. The guys didn't like it. The tour was called the Down the Tubes Tour. Right. So the, the record label was like, you know, why don't you write us some hits? Let's get some, let's get some airplay going, guys. And so they responded as, as the only way they can. <laughs> Like, sure, we'll, we'll write you a hit. So they write another 20-minute long song that opens with an instrumental part, which opens with 46 seconds of sci-fi noise <laughs> and ends with a quote from the Beatitudes. Can you that, imagine the record company people putting this in and listening to that, that beginning? That beginning. <laughs> They're like, what? But I read that they did the weird, the, this great thing about them because they were so young, maybe it was Ray Daniels, he was older, right? Right. Is that they had, in their contract, they had a production contract with uh, the record company. Mercury Records. Which meant that the record company just had to produce the album. We give you an album, and you produce it, and Mm -hmm. do all the the record label stuff. So they couldn't say no. Right. But they could drop them after the album came out. Yeah. Which I think they were threatening to do if- if this wasn't a hit. Yeah. So Rush laid it all out for this record. Yeah. They did whatever they wanted to do and either it was going to work or they were done. Yeah. Alex also said it was their protest album. Mm-hmm. 
like a fight against the fact that somebody wanted them to do something specific that they didn't want to do. Right. They wanted to make the music they wanted to make. Somebody said, yeah, it's not good enough. And they were like, here's 2112. <laughs> <laughs> here's a 20-minute long song, basically. The same thing you tore us up on on the last album. But you'd have to say this album changed their lives forever. Absolutely. This was this was it. What would have happened if they didn't do this album? I don't know. Um, I guess Getty would still be a Blue Jays fan, but he'd be sitting <laughs> up in the upper deck with me. Maybe. I mean, you never know, right? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe they would be studio musicians. Yeah. I'm sure they would have been successful at whatever they did. Neil might have been a writer. Yeah. Would have been a great one. We'll have to ask. Not uh, that he isn't a great one, but you know we'll what I mean. We'll ask Getty when he's on the show. Yeah, when Getty's on the show, we'll ask him. What, what would have happened? What would have happened if 2112 was a failure? Give us an alternate history. O- alternate universe Getty. <laughs> yeah. What would alternate universe Getty be doing right now? Interesting. So uh, why don't we uh, play a little bit of the first part of 2112. Overture. Now, you're not going to be able to dissect the lyrics much of this song, Jer. No, I am not. But um, I do have something about the the opening of the song, that, that part you were talking about with the synthesizer was created using something called an ARP Odyssey. Oh, the the, uh, the sci-fi noise? Yeah, and an Echoplex tape delay. Of course, that's what, that would be yeah. my guess. And I guess Terry Brown, who we haven't mentioned yet, he's the producer for Rush who produced everything from, I think, uh, Fly By Night to Signals. He, mm-hmm. was their, he was their producer. He was their George Martin. Yes, he was. Terry Brown said uh, the synth intro was composed of various parts played by Hugh Syme wow. that were put together in a collage. And um, yeah, so that's it. And I mean, Overture is now iconic. I mean, Rush goes into that in a show and the place goes crazy right. and it's just... Everyone does the hey part. Yeah. So we saw, Steve and I flew to California to watch Rush uh, get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. One of the one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah, it was. It was great. It sounded like a really weird idea when we came up with it. We're like, can we really do this? Yeah. We have families and jobs and things, you yeah. know? And we were just like, let's go to California for this one little thing. I wonder how many of our listeners, now our listeners we've decided are real big Rush fans. Right. They have to be to listen to this, I would think. How many of you were there? Let us know. Yeah. They've been and sitting right next to us. Right. And what did you think about basically cheering for, it seemed like five minutes. Oh, it was great. When Jan Weiner announced, he didn't even say their name. He just said they were the three men from Canada or something like that. And this place just erupted. Probably the the biggest ovation that any inductee to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has ever gotten, I would think. Right. Or will get. But what I was going to say is that when uh, Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins and what's the name of the guy who produced... Clockwork Angels, he was the guy playing bass. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't remember, remember his name. I can't remember his name. Mm-mm. But they, they played the overture. Right. Whatever, and it was great. Like, even they were going, hey. Right. <laughs> while they were playing. It was great. It was great. And do you know that Rush has played Overture and Temples of Syrinx, that combination, more than any 
other song in their history live. Wow, really? Well, it would make sense because it's their oldest, greatest song. Right. You know, I mean, it it beats Tom Sawyer only because Tom Sawyer wasn't recorded for another six years or whatever Mm. it is. So after that, Tom Sawyer was played at every every show from then on till the end. And on one tour, they played the whole song, right? Yes. I checked it out. They would eliminate certain parts. Probably the beginning of um, Discovery or whatever. Right. Part five, Oracle the Dream, has only been played 69 times live. So that would lead me to believe that they've only played the entire song 69 times live. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And and the rest of the time, they omitted certain parts. I mean, I, I think one time we saw them, they played parts one and two, and then the finale, and that was it. Right. But didn't you know? we see them once when they played the whole thing? Yes. Yes. They okay. did it. Um, I forget what tour it was. We should know that. Again, our... Our, our Twitter followers and listeners would know better than we would, I'm right. sure. Um, on a particular tour, they did play they did play 2112 in its entirety. It may have been the 30th anniversary or something like that. But anyway, Overture, I mean, the guitar, the sound that Alex has in his guitar on this whole album is just yeah. amazing to me. Not being a musician, really, I have nothing to say about the, the music except that everything is perfect. The entire song is And just, Neil's drumming, too. That, the whole thing, it's insane how good it is. And that's why people love, love this album so much and fell in love with Rush the instant they heard this. Yeah. And I'm sure even Rush fans, you know, like us who came along later, when they got this record, they were like, wait a minute. Yeah. What, what's happening? This, what is, this is amazing. Yeah. This is, because it's, I mean, there are obviously, uh, concept albums. Rush didn't really do a full concept album until Clockwork Angels. Mm -hmm. Like an entire album on one theme but still like even you know like tommy or uh dark side of the moon it's not like 2112 no 2112 is like i said i can't even it's perfection it is really is i always felt disappointed whenever i whenever rush did overture and temples of syrinx at a show i always just wish they would just keep going and just play the whole thing yeah because i guess a lot of you know a lot of casual fans wouldn't be interested in hearing that but but we and many huge Rush fans would be thrilled to hear that as yeah. many times as we possibly could. Yeah, every show. Every show. So um, what about the one lyric? And the meek shall inherit the earth? Yes. What do you have to say about that? Other than it's a Bible verse. Is it from, I said it was from the Beatitudes. Is it from the um, Beatitudes? Let's, let's take so. a look. Hang on a second. You're I, looking I, up Beatitudes? No. So I, I Catholic school was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I have it written down here somewhere. Hang on a second. It is Beatitudes of the New Testament. Psalm go. 37, verse 11. And the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, we can no- get into the philosophical implications of of the Beatitudes, but we probably shouldn't. I don't think so. <laughs> but basically, I think that sets up the whole thing. You know, the meek shall inherit the earth, which means, guys, just, just know what, what your place is. Don't really... Rock the boat, basically, is what it's saying. Okay, so are we? Are we is this directed song. toward the priest that we're going to meet later? No, it's it's the it's the idea of the society, it, the is society that, as a whole. Yeah, that people should just be meek and not challenging of authority. Oh, I see. So we're going to meet someone later who challenges authority. Is that yes, what you're getting are. at? I think so. Okay, so why don't we play a little bit of part two, the temples of Serenx. 
Crush fans know this story. Yeah, of course. But let's let's talk about it a little anyway. Right. So it starts off with these priests who control every aspect of society in general. It's based semi-loosely, but not so loosely, on Ayn Rand's short novel, Anthem. Inside the album sleeve, it says, with acknowledgement to the genius of Ayn Rand. Right. We should probably, we'll talk about Ayn Rand more in depth in part two. Okay. Because we could talk about the philosophy of objectivism. Right. We don't, we don't want this episode to be three hours long. We don't? Probably not. Okay. Um, yeah, so it, the, in, in the book, Anthem, it's basically the same kind of story. There's like a council of wise people who dictate everyone's lives, dictate what they can do, how, what kind of work they want to do, regardless of whether or not the person wants to do them. So they tell you what your job is and yep. what you're going to do exactly every day. Exactly like it says in the song. We've taken care of everything. The words you, you read and the songs you sing. Mm-hmm. They tell you what's worth looking at. They tell you what's worth reading. They tell you what anything is worth. Obviously, Neil is uh, trying to conjure up a vision of the future here. Yes. And I think one thing he got wrong uh, was our great computers fill the hollowed halls. I was thinking the same thing when I heard that. Because obviously, Neil... And anyone in 1976 would think bigger computers means <laughs> right. more better computing computers, power, yeah. more computing power. But now you don't need hallowed halls no. to get any computing power, really. Well, you know, your phone has more computing power than the hallowed halls of the temples of <laughs> Syrinx, Jared. Right. Our, our cell phones have more computing power than the lunar module that landed on the moon. <laughs> So Neil was a little off base there, but I can't really fault him for that. No, because everyone's off. Future anybody is impossible. Yeah. It's a fool's game, Steve. Yeah. To but, try to predict the future of technology. It's very true. <laughs> but that that's the one line that jumps out at me now is that didn't really stand the test of time, that line. But yeah. still still a great line. Yeah. But basically, I mean, it's just setting up the fact that we have these rules of society mm-hmm. and what the rules of society are or what they are, and they can't be changed for the whims of a, a person, one single person. Because that's what, what happens in the novel a lot. In the novel, everyone... Uh, is referred to, they even refer to themselves with plural pronouns because everyone is in service of everyone else. Right. So instead of saying I, the protagonist of Anthem is a guy whose name is Equality72521. That's his name? Yes. Everyone you know, ha- I don't think I ever read Anthem. That's the one Anne Rand book I'd ever read. Anthem. It's the only Anne Rand book I ever read. Really? I didn't read The Fountainhead. I read The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, which are huge books. Huge books. Huge. Huge. I read those, but I didn't read Anthem. I don't know why. So there's one thing I wanted to mention that I never, ever thought of before until I, I guess, recently read Anthem. I had read in college, and I said, I'm going to brush up on Anthem before we discuss 2112. And I think that 2112, the numbers, is part of the name of the protagonist of 2112. It's not the year that this thing takes place. Really? Yeah. I you think don't think so. it's the year? Nope. I think it's this person's name because in the book, everyone has, you know, like a verb or a noun followed by uh, a dash and a number and then four numbers as their name. So this one guy's name is, like I said, a quality 72521. And everybody has names like that. So I think if you look on the album on the inside, where's that part? Maybe it's on the back. Oh, the, the, the little quote in the, the back. The quote? Should, yeah. I re- should I read it? Sure. Uh, I lie awake staring out at the bleakness of Megadon, 
City and sky become one, merging into a single plane, a vast sea of unbroken gray. Should I read this whole thing? The twin moons, just two pale orbs as they trace their way across the steely sky. I used to think I had a pretty good life here, just plugging into my machine for the day, then watching Temple Vision or reading a Temple paper in the evening. Interesting. My friend John always said it was nicer here than under the atmospheric domes at the outer planets. We have had peace since 2062, when the surviving planets were banded together under the red star of the Solar Federation. The less fortunate gave us new moons. I believed what I was told. I thought it was a good life. I thought I was happy. Then I found something that changed it all. And it's signed Anonymous 2112. Now, is it signed Anonymous in the year 2112? Or that's what I always is that thought. his name 2112? I th- that's what I always thought it was 2112. And it still might be the year. I think I it's the year. Think, I think it has a little bit something to do with the the naming convention of the characters. Maybe our listeners can chime in. Yes. Let us know whether they think it's the year or it's this guy's name. Or if it's the, it is the year, is it informed by the the way that people are named in the novel? That's possible. Or novella, I suppose. That's possible. And anything else about uh, temples of Syrinx? I'm reading here in Greek Greek mythology, Syrinx is a water nymph. Oh, who was my favorite trans- kind of nymph. Who <laughs> was transformed into a set of panpipes. Okay. And effectively, the comic booklet represents the temples with the shape of panpipes. Oh, I never read the comic book thing. Yeah, neither did I. Uh, the computerized nature of the priest system was a concept envisioned by Neil Peart in the 1970s. The only thing I wanted to mention musically about the temples of Syrinx, I always say Syrinx. Is it Syrinx? I think it's Syrinx only because that's, isn't that the way Getty sings it? We yeah. are the priests of the temples of Syrinx. I guess you could, it's kind of halfway. There's, there's one chord, it's, it's kind of a dissonant chord at the end of that first line. You know, it's like, we are the priests of the temples of Syrinx. And it's like, bam, it goes, it's kind of go down. Right. I just love that chord because it just sets up kind of like the abusive and, and totalitarian idea of the priests. They just, it's just all noise. It's just, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. We hate the priests. We hate. We hate them. The priests of the temples of Syrinx. So it's time for part three of 2112, Discovery. What can this strange device be? When I touch it, it gives forth a sound. It's got wires that vibrate and give music. What can this thing be that I've found? This is the part, Joe, where our protagonist finds... A guitar. A guitar. A guitar. But we don't say the word guitar. Because we we? don't know it's a guitar. He doesn't know it's a guitar. Who knows? So what do you think about uh, part three? It's great. It is great. (laughs) Alex, in this, uh, so in the novel, what the person finds in a tunnel under the city, basically is electricity. He discovers electricity, but specifically he discovers a light bulb that he plugs in. He gets it to work and he wants to bring it to the the high council or whatever, and said, I can't believe I found this thing. Now we don't have to burn candles anymore. And basically, you know, same thing happens. He brings his discovery, and they just are like, ah, no thanks. So yeah, he discovers the this guitar, learns to play it very quickly, which I appreciate. Maybe he's just a natural. Mm-hmm. 
Um, although you assume that the strings would be kind of really rusty after being underground. You would think. It wouldn't sound as good as Alex's guitar parts in this part of the song, no. which are outstanding. And I, I, Alex really shines in this song. He does. He has to because the song's about a guitar. He, this is his time to shine. Yeah, if he didn't. When, el when else would he shine? <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you're out of the band. Um, I think I read somewhere that the beginning of him like futzing around with the guitar was actually recording of Alex tuning up. Really? Yeah. He was just tuning. That's him actually tuning a, the guitar. They might have untuned it so that he could tune it up. It's not like they just okay. caught him tuning up. Right. But I think it's just like a, a metaphorical part of discovery is he's trying to figure out how the thing works. And I guess part of that is, is tuning it up. How he figured that out, I don't know either. But And he wouldn't learn to play the guitar that well in seconds anyway, no. this guy. I've been playing for decades <laughs> and I'm still awful. But, uh, but the thing in the lyrics that I noticed is that this guy... He thinks the priests are going to love this thing. Yeah, of course. Let them all make their own music. The priests praise my name on this night. He and thinks the priests are going to... Yeah, give them a medal. Give them a medal. This That's, is going to be great. Same thing happens in the book. Because in the book, the priests... Or not the, they're not called priests in the book, but the rulers say all the time that nothing is known... Something like nothing exists that isn't known by man. So basically, they're trying to set up everything that we tell you is all there is. So, so if you find anything, it's meaningless. It's meaningless because... We've it, already given you everything you need. Right. And, not that, and they don't even expect to find anything because everything that, has, that exists is known by man and everything that's known by man exists. So people don't look for things because there's nothing to look for. Right. But and this guy stumbled upon this he thing. He stumbles upon this thing and he's like, oh my God, could it be that the rulers don't know about this thing? And the same thing is in the story, in the, in the album. He finds this guitar and he's like, I cannot believe what beautiful music this thing makes. It's so different from all the other music that they play all the time. Right. And he brings it to them. Chords that build high like a mountain, Jer, or notes that fall gently like rain. You know, I wanted to mention too, is that there is like intro yeah, dialogue. No, I was about or, to say that because in the liner notes of the record, I was just, I was just looking at that and right. going to bring it up. Should I read some of it or no? Well, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, I, we can't read all of it. We'll be here all day. Uh, but just this part, the discovery. Behind my beloved waterfall in the little room that was hidden beneath the cave, I found it. I brushed away the dust of the years and picked it up, holding it reverently in my hands. I had no idea what it might be, but it was beautiful. And then there's another paragraph, too. Can't wait to tell the priests about it, he says at the end. <laughs> can't, can't wait. Can't wait. They're... Now, now what, what is this from? It's just part of the story. Just part of the story that we didn't get into the lyrics that we want to... Yeah, it's... it. Again, if we're talking about a reaction to Caress of Steel in The Necromancer, there is like... No explanation. Well, no. There In The Necromancer, there is explanation part where the guy with the weird voice talks about things. Mm -hmm. But then the actual song just repeats everything that he said. This is the opposite. This is the opposite. They're giving you something that fleshes out the story, but it's not actually mentioned in the song. Right. So again, lesson learned <laughs> on their part. All right. Anything else about Discovery, Jer? Did you discover anything else about Discovery? Um, just that, again, Alex's guitar, on, especially when he gets to the part where, where, where Getty's saying, he notes that fall gently like rain. There's mm -hmm. a whole little thing where he's just kind of mm -hmm. playing. And it, I don't know, it's, I, have, I can't even explain how beautiful it is. It is. But to me, the more beautiful section of the song 
is presentation. Listen to my music. I just love the way this goes back and forth. Yeah. Uh, ex- explain, Jer. Well, he brings the guitar to the priests and starts saying, you know, I know it's most unusual for me to come before you, so, but I've found an ancient miracle. And I thought that you should know. He's like so happy. He's like a little kid. Right. Bringing and, his... and Getty singing is very happy also. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how he changes throughout the whole song. Yeah. He's taking on the it's, characters. Well, his vocals are amazing in this song because he, he uses, goes he goes everywhere yeah he uses his range very well right in the song too. which i think later when they did this in subsequent tours i think we lost a little bit of that that we get on the record yeah just because his range wasn't as good i mean i know that when they played this later in later years i believe i read after test for echo they dropped everything down an oct not an octave but a, a step yeah you they know? tuned it down they tuned step, it yeah. down a step so getty could hit the notes yeah but here, he's, you definitely get the sense that there are two different singers mm-hmm. singing because he's singing in a very pleasant way, in a very happy way, like you said. And then when, <laughs> then when it's the- nothing no. new. <laughs> get out of here. Get off my lawn. It's, it's just a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. But that's what the priests say. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. We have no need for ancient ways. Our world is doing fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, get he's screaming it. He is, yeah. But, you know, they say the first thing is, yes, we know it's nothing new. It's just a waste of time. And while I was listening to this, it immediately reminded me of Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas? The Planet of the Apes. Oh. Because, spoiler alert, (laughs) I'm going to talk about the ending of Planet of the Apes. Get out of here. You can't do that. People may not have seen it. We have young Rush fans who have never seen Planet of the Apes, Jar. Skip ahead maybe 45 seconds if you have Uh, never seen the Planet of the Apes. Soylent Green is people, everyone. (laughs) Because the whole time that um, Taylor is on the planet in the Planet of the Apes, yes. Dr. Zayas knows that it's really planet Earth. The whole time, he knew it. And he didn't want to tell, he doesn't want to tell anybody because then that would prove that apes evolved from men. Right. So it's kind of the same thing. The priests know about all of these great inventions that, were, that came before them. Of course they do. But they just don't want anyone to know. Right. And so when somebody tells them, like, oh yeah, we, we already looked into that. Eh, Guitars suck. Yeah. We don't need those things. Yeah. I would like to know what portion of our listenership, Jer, has never seen Planet of the Apes and you just ruined it for them. That's I what I would like warning. to know. I gave a warning. What are they going to do? They're going to keep listening? Well. We're so I, riveting. I gave a warning. <laughs> That's a good question, though. How? What's the What's the expiration date on spoilers? The Spoiler movie is like 50 alert. years old. <laughs> well, the thing is, you got to think about this. Now, there are a lot of people... Like, I mean, I, there's a lot of people I work with that are young people. We were discussing this the other day. You know, they haven't seen the Planet of the Apes. We watched it a thousand times on the 430 movie on Channel 11 or whatever it was in New York. My older daughter loves the Planet of the Apes movies. So we have all of them on DVD and we watch them. All who, of them. But who, intru- who introduced her to the Planet oh, yeah, of the Apes? I did, of you course. did. Yeah. Right. A lot of people don't have someone as smart as you to introduce yes. them. Yes, right. To 
the wonders of the planet of the Someone Apes. as lazy as me who just wants to watch <laughs> the things he wants to watch. Oh, that's his, why. And drags his children along with him. Now, now we know. But but anyway, I just love the way it, this, this part of the song just goes back and forth from that, that happy little guitar to the priest screaming at the guy. And yeah. It's just, it's just amazing. It is amazing. It really is good. It's great storytelling, Neil. It is great storytelling. Good job, any, good job any, Neil. Anything else about this part of the song we want to jump into, Jer? No, it's just that there's one line that the priests say toward the end, you know, don't annoy us further. We have our work to do. Just think about the average. What use have they for you? That is an Anne Rand statement. That was her whole deal. Everything you do is going to be for yourself. Again, we have to, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Yeah. But that to me is a very uh, Randian statement. Just think about the average person. I mean, Randian in that it's the opposite of what she would think, she would say. You know what I mean? Like, so it's an exploration of her idea. So this is what the priest would say. This is the priest. This is what anybody in power would say. Right. What about the average person? And to her, you know, there, there really are no average people. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be an individual. Right. But I digress. But the solo, again, getting back to Alex, he owns... He owns this whole he song. He owns this whole song. His solo really brings across the confusion and the disappointment that this man this anonymous man feels at the end of this thing when the, the soul is just kind of kicking in at the end of this. Mm-hmm. You could just see him running from these people out I, to... I wonder murder. if anyone's... Someone must have uh, put some sort of uh, animation to this song at some point, I wonder. I wonder if someone's done that. That would be cool. Yeah, well, I mean, there's that comic book, like we said. Yeah. I, I've never read it, but I'm sure it... Would be that. interesting. Yeah. So why don't we move on to part five? We're we're churning through this, Jer. We are, right? Oracle the Dream. Oracle the Dream. I wandered home through silent streets and fell into a fitful sleep. Escaped two realms beyond the night. Dream, can't you show me light? So this this is uh, after our protagonist leaves the priests. Yeah, he's uh, wandering home through silent streets. Of course. Thoughts on uh, this part of the song, Jer? Well, I think the oracle in general. If I'm not mistaken. The oracle was Greek. It was a place you went that where you would receive visions of, uh, you know, that would give you messages about the future. Or isn't the oracle? I mean, isn't? I mean, I know it says oracle the dream, but isn't an oracle a dream? I think. An oracle is someone who tells you about the future, not necessarily in a dream. But I think there was a place, again, this is this would have been a great time to do a little bit of research. <laughs> you didn't do that, Jerry? I didn't do research about what the oracle was. I have a vague recollection, as most of my recollections are, about the oracle being an actual, uh, people went to see the oracle in ancient Greek, Greece. Mm-hmm. They would go to this place where the oracle resided. But in reality there was like some kind of like gas that was emanating from this spot and people would just get like dizzy and pass out and have crazy dreams and stuff like that. Oh, I see. So they thought an oracle was coming to them, but right. it was, it was just, just like they were just inhaling some, yeah, they were just inhaling. something they shouldn't have inhaled. Maybe. I could be making that up. <laughs> probably. So that's what he says, right? He's Again, this is probably where the intro stuff, the, the lines that aren't in the song are 
worth reading? Worth reading because they inform way more. They, they tell you much more about what's happening in this part of the, Shall I? the song itself. Please, go ahead. I guess it was a dream, but even now it all seems so vivid to me. Clearly. Yet I see the beckoning hand of the oracle as he stood at the summit of the staircase. I see still the incredible beauty of the sculptured cities and the pure spirit of man revealed in the lives and works of this world. I was overwhelmed by both wonder and understanding as I saw a completely different way to life, a way that had been crushed by the Federation long ago. I saw now how meaningless life had become with the loss of all these things, meaning the guitar and probably many other things, right? Right, yeah, he sees this like a city of, of beauty and brilliance, and he realizes how what drudgery life is without those things, about the individual um, aspects of society that make it worth living, instead of just living for... Again, in the in Anthem, there's more about that, mm-hmm. about how everybody is just for everyone. And as I mentioned before, this is the part that Rush would often drop from the song if right. they wanted to do a shorter version of it. And you could probably lose this and still get the gist of things, I think. It's so short, though. They really shouldn't. Yeah, well, they they only, like I said, they only played it 69 times live. So right. so many times they left it out, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, Basically, he just uh, starts tripping. He has, he's, has a hallucination. Whether or not the oracle came to him or he went to the oracle, don't know. But he sees a vision of, of what the planet was like or the federation of planets was like before the federation took over okay works and, for me and it was great indeed indeed until in- people some individuals took power for themselves and decided that no one else should have any kind of bastards freedom man it happens every all the time all the time uh so we he also sees the hand of man arise with hungry mind and open eyes the elder race was not destroyed but left our planets long ago Plotting to return to tear the temples down. Yeah. The end of this song, I think, is a little bit confusing. We haven't gotten there yet exactly. And I was talking about this to someone at work, about what actually happens to this guy at the end of the story. Because he sees all of these things, and he, he sees that there's going to be, like whoever the, the people or the civilization that lived on the planets before you know, the, the temple was erected or whatever, are going to come back going to come back and take over again but when we get to soliloquy which i guess we should just get to right now all right let's do it soliloquy in bed he wakes up from bed with like the dream of a, a better world okay but he still he, he knows that it's not going to happen it was just a dream that he had this vision of what life would be like without the temple ruling everything and even though in the dream he he thinks that they're gonna these elder people or whatever are gonna come home to tear the temples down and home to change he gives in to despair anyway Right? My spirits are low in the depths of despair. My lifeblood spills over. Which, to me, means he's committed suicide. You think? What, what else could it be? My lifeblood spills over. Yeah, I, I guess so. I think he kills himself. I mean, this, uh, this really is the end. I mean, there's a finale, but there's no lyrics in the finale. No. So, 
this is the end of the story for this guy, the soliloquy. For this guy. Right. But there is an end to the story. Which is? Which is the grand finale, which is just, you know, the crazy guitar. Again, the crazy musicianship that's happening. I assume is the confrontation of the elder race and the temple or whoever, whatever the, the, the current administration is on the planet. That's what it's, it's the music is the battle. He decides against his vision to that, that the vision isn't going to come true and that he's going to kill himself. But after he does that, the elder race does return. And they reintroduce the guitar, which creates well, this... Well, they reintroduce music. whatever needs to be reintroduced. Personal freedom, television. And hopefully guitar. Coffee? coffee? Guitar, yeah. You assume that uh, the priest did not allow coffee? Well, yeah, because coffee's great. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want anyone <laughs> to have anything great, They don't yet? want anyone to be a slave to anything other than the temple. I see. And if you need a good cuppa in the morning, then you're not thinking about the temple. <laughs> So that's what I think is happening. What do you think is happening at the end? Attention. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to, re- I wanted to read. Um, this is now I found this on Wikipedia. So take this with a grain of salt, everybody. On the classics album episode on twenty one twelve and moving pictures, Lee comments on the ambiguity of the ending. Peart states that his intent was that the elder race successfully disposed of the Solar Federation. Okay. Um, what's the What's the ambiguity? That's what I always thought. Uh, it says the comic booklet also represents starships approaching the planet and plain silhouettes identical to the ones in the overture bombing it killing father brown who's that he's he's mentioned in one of the oh okay uh, earlier pieces but leaving anonymous alive as he stays mm-hmm. in the cave where the one page soliloquy was set as the grand finale ends the lines attention all planets of the solar federation followed by we have assumed control are spoken three times each i, I don't know i so i hate just, to disagree with them but i think from from my lifeblood spills over that just sounds suicidal to me. Yeah. Let's talk about we have assumed control. Do you take that to mean that the elders have, yeah. again, taken control? Absolutely. Okay. I think, yeah, they come back and take over everything to set things back the way they were. However, the whole we have assumed control does not bode well for personal freedom of people. Well, the word, con- the word control <laughs> is, uh, is a word that's a little frightening. Yeah. So who knows? I don't know what the, what the commentary is on that. Hmm. As we've mentioned before on, I think when we were discussing territories, you know, conquerors usually make things worse. Yeah, so absolutely. who knows? But there were a couple of things I wanted to mention. Something I read online, I don't remember where it was, and in just like bouncing around and going down different rabbit holes. Attention all planets of the Solar Federation is seven words. Okay. And it's repeated three times. Okay, that's 21. 21 words. And then we have assumed control is four words. Repeated three times, and that's twelve. You came up with this yourself, no, or you read, no, this I read this somewhere. People have way too much time on their but hands. But it, it, it's valid. I guess it's valid, but does it mean anything? It just means twenty-one, twelve, twenty-one words and twelve words huh. in the song. Wow! But um, again, just the musicianship in this song is just amazing. Yeah, it's insane. And it's just one of those songs. I just remember when we were younger, when we first really got into Rush. 
this was a great song to just put on if we were driving to, you know, the Inkwell and Long Branch. That's right. Yes. I don't know. Does that still exist, the Inkwell? I, Shout might. out to the Inkwell and Long Branch. I passed the um, the windmill today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In so Long Branch? Yeah. What were you doing in Long Branch? Uh, we went to a flea market in Ocean Grove. Oh, wow. And I drove everybody back on Ocean Avenue. And you could have listened to 2112 on the way back in its entirety. I could have. We used to do that on the way to the Inkwell. We did, yeah. And it was great. You know, the grand finale, just <laughs> we're pulling into the driveway. <laughs> just really the, the song that really got me into Rush, I think. I mean, really? you know, obviously the show we saw was amazing, but then, then you had to go back, like you said, and just buy the albums and, yeah. and immerse yourself. And this is one of those albums I didn't have until I became enlightened at that Power Windows show. Yeah. And it changed things for me. I don't know about you. Um, I don't remember. I was so into it, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint. You couldn't pinpoint one song from the next? Uh, no. That, this song was the one that did it. But, you know, I have a question about why the Elder Race is coming back. Okay. So there's this comic book that I really like called Descender. And basically it's about uh, a guy who creates artificial life, basically. It creates like, you know, robots or whatever that are very human-like. And in doing that, he inadvertently sends a message to uh, a far-off group of people who want to destroy all artificial life in the universe or something like that. Okay. So it... It remind that reminds me of this song because I wonder if the playing of the guitar is the catalyst for the elder race coming back. Like were they waiting for someone to find the guitar? Or to find you know, to find something. They were waiting for at least one person to be curious about what the world was really like and could get out from under the thumb of the temple. And when that happened, that's when they knew it was safe to return. Hmm. That's interesting. It's yeah. an interesting thought. That's what I always thought about it. I'm not sure how, how it would be transmitted exactly, you know, how they would hear it, whether or not he had an amp. Hmm. Interesting. Let us know what you think. Tweet us at Rush Fancast and let us know. Or email us at the rushcast at gmail.com. And on that note, I think we should wrap up part one of 2112 because we've been talking a long Have time. Have we really? It's almost an hour. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. So people who have hung in for this whole hour, thank you. Yes. We hope it was enjoyable for you as it was for us. <laughs> We could have talked for another hour about this, probably. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. why don't we delve into side two on the next podcast? Of course. So we're going to, this is the- Side two has its gems as well. Side two has its gems, but it's it's the side of the 2112 album that is, you know, lesser known, I would say. That's right. So why don't we get into that on the next podcast? Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Something for Nothing with Steve and Jerry. Uh, we hope you enjoyed part one of 2112. Check us out next week for part two, and we'll talk to you then. Yeah. And remember, Steve. Yes. All the gifts of life are held within our walls.